recommend if you want to read something uh, from way back then by a guy named John Blofeld. It's The Teachings of Hawaiian Po. It's very good because the guy who wrote it originally in China used to work for the, uh, the court of the emperor. He was a writer there and he was a follower of this guy Hawaiian Po so he wrote the talks like transcribed them right away and he had it. He had uh, intimate contact with Po, so it's like really maybe the closest thing to the horse's mouth in a sense. So, but this man Hoyne Po said a lot of nice cryptic little things, and one of them was, "Whatever can be perceived can perceive." Yes. I better turn my phone on too. So, whatever can can be perceived can perceive. Yeah. So, in a sense, in our experience, whatever. Whatever is seen isn't this, cannot, whatever is seen can't be seen. Whatever is actually feeling can't be felt. Yes? There's no way that the subjectivity of life or awareness of life or consciousness of life is going to be cast into being an object to another subject because there isn't any other subject. Yeah? So the eye, just like the eye can't see itself, the seeing can't be seen. The feeler or the feeling can't be felt. Yes? What's feeling can't be felt. What's seeing can't be seen. What's hearing can't be heard. What's actually hearing cannot be heard. Yeah. So there's, in a, in a sense, because of the subject-object formality of this interpretation here, and this object taking this object being crowned the subject, it's naturally moving towards things and objectifying them like the truth and enlightenment and spirituality, as if it's going to get spiritual, yeah? As, as if it's going to acquire enlightenment or achieve something. Yeah? It can't escape that logic of the, of the conditional mind put in, cast into subject-object. Yeah? So, but in a sense, when, we, when the seeing's are happening from this interpretation, it's you seem to be the seer, yeah? When hearing happens, it's you that's hearing when feeling is going on, it's you that's feeling, yeah? When something's heard, it's you that's hearing it, yes? So this is how the, the mental process co-ops the subjectivity. It claims to be the subject. But it crowns, it crowns, it uses the crown of subjectness and puts it on an object, this. Yeah? So it's identified as an object, but it's assuming that it's the subject. So instead of like Buddha said, when, when seeing, see, when hearing, hear, when feeling, feel, when tasting, taste, yes? But no, when hearing, I'm hearing. When seeing, I'm seeing. When feeling, I'm feeling. When tasting, it's I'm tasting. See, it's co-opted the event of called conscious consciousness, and it's claimed to be the one that's conscious, yes? So it, in a way, it puts itself and perceives what can never be perceived. It puts itself behind the seeing, and now calls the seeing a verb it's doing, yes? But in a sense, if you follow the statement, whatever can be perceived cannot perceive. Whatever can be seen cannot be the seeing, yeah? Whatever can be heard cannot be the hearing. Yeah? There's no way that the hearing, the subjectivity, can ever be an object to anything else. It doesn't have any qualities. It's not objectified or informed, yes? So the way you know it, like Ramana Maharshi said, to know God is to be God. Yeah? That's how you know it. When to know God is to be God. You, I, who cares about the word God? But to know is to be, actually. For us, to know is to be the knower. 
yeah, in the conditionality. To know implies to know what. In other ways, knowing implies being. Yeah? So when you know the truth, you are being the truth. When you know presence, you are the presence. When you know awakeness, you are awakeness. You're not, you aren't awake, you are the awakeness. Yeah. You aren't awake, you are the awakeness. And therefore, if once it becomes, it leaves the in this realm of duality, because if it's you that's awake, you cannot be awake. And you'll probably live as if you're not awake, because you believe you could be awake. Yeah. But awakeness doesn't brook that kind of interpretation. There's just awakeness. Yeah. There's no entry or departure. You can't enter it as something, and you can't leave. You can't depart from it as something. You can't get it. You can't have it. You can't own it. Yeah. So that's the whole point. Where most of us are trying to have an experience as a mental state. The mental state is a little mix-up. Subjectivity is called you. Yeah. And then you believe you're doing it. Like, I'm the one who's aware. I'm the one who's conscious. This is just questioning who is that which thinks it's aware. If it isn't you, yes, what's left behind? The awareness. Yeah? So instead of thinking about being aware, you're aware of the thoughts about awareness. Yeah? Totally different. Thinking about being aware, or you're aware of the thoughts about being aware. The mental interpretation just like slips, it just changes seats, yeah? It just changes seats. So, this is just about questioning that, because if you're not that, then your beholdenness to it is broken. Because you and I are bound, in a sense, as this, by, by interest and attention, really. The interest and attention to the thought system all day binds you to the idea that the thought system is presenting, which is a you, yeah? a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. And if you've, if you've gone beyond hearing it and are listening to it, if there's a listening, which means like a focus attention, then that listening is, is the way the trance is set and reinforced every day. It's almost as if you're your own hypnotist. You, know? you have K-Paul playing all day, the golden oldies especially, lots of commercials, you know? and a lot of opinions and narratives. <laughs> and there's an unaware listening to it, because the hearing is happening, if the mental selfing is going on, and there's a hearing of it, but the listening to it changes the ballgame, because the listening casts the, the emphasis on the listener, yes? So while you're, listen, while you're the listener to that, it's sort of, they, they're like symbiotic. The listener begets the interest in what's being listened to. The listening reinforces the idea of being a listener, yeah? So it keeps you, it keep, it's like a dualistic cocoon being spun, yeah? And so by this, the cocoon becomes the form. There's nothing in it, but because it's being spun, there seems to be a form, yeah? There's the idea of self and the obsession around it. So it produces like a cocoon-like effect, but what's in it is inherently empty. There's just space, yes? And also the cocoon is space, and the outside is space. But to the mind, it appears to be something. And it appears to be you. And then the interest and attention is just wedded, and it's constantly more and more threads, you know, to the cocoon. More and more threads about your life, what's going to happen, what did happen, what is happening, which is what's going to happen, what did happen. 
That's the only thing that is happening in the mental process of selfing. It's what's going to happen and what did happen. <laughs> That's what is happening. That's the content of the mental... This is what's happening. That's the content. It's what did happen and what will happen. <laughs> we call it, oh yeah, that's what's happening. But there is a state, really, of what's happening that's different than the mental state of what's happening. There is. Yeah. There is conscious contact. There is anonymous here. There is a, a pure awareness of things. Yeah. And then, in, in the seeing of things there's also an intimation or the presence of what is seen. You can't see it or feel it or taste it, but there's an intimation of it. I would say that's the presence. Yeah, that's the sense of presence. But the sense of presence is really uh, obvious when you're absent. It's very rarely obvious, never obvious when you're present. <laughs> because for you to seem to be present, it has to be absent. It can't be absent, but it has to appear to be absent, yes? But your total obsession with you it, it appears to be pretty much absent, and you're filling up all the space, you, yeah? <laughs> and then you may get a bug that you really want to know about that presence, and that just <laughs> produces a stronger absence <laughs> of the seeming presence. Because now you're really present trying to get the presence. <laughs> I'm really, and it's very noble too, in some circles. It's a very noble endeavor. So there's a lot, of, a lot of mental meaning being given to it. Just like most people who meditate would probably think meditation is more important than doing the dishes, definitely. Yeah? It would have a, it would have a hierarchy of importance. And some of us who have that, that infected little stream of seeking, spiritual seeking, man, we made a lot of things really noble and important. You know? I have no time to, with my relationships. I've got to be meditating. I've got a deeper calling than the carnal lust of the female body. Yes. But don't leave. I want you to be here later. <laughs> right now, it's much more important for me to be uh, pursuing this incredibly noble endeavor few have dared to enter. <laughs> I mean, all the spotlights are on you. You're like the biggest star. <laughs> I'm seeking my own absence, but I really want to be there when it happens. <laughs> How can I work that out? Well, the only way you can work it out is make sure you never go there. But you can look like you're going there, and that could be cool. And you can drag it out for a long time. You go through a lot of white yoga outfits and a lot of patchouli hair, short hair, no hair, good long hair, whatever. Get that loving gaze going. You know? It'll be getting closer, closer every day. Yeah, yeah. But if if there's a sense of when the interest and attention is lost in the inherent absence, it's now interested in attending to what is present. That's the sense of presence. That presence hasn't just shown up. It's brought to you by interest and attention. If your interest and attention is free from the bondage of self, yes, from the idea of constantly having to engage with all these inane ideas and thoughts about what I did and didn't do all this and all the incredible meaning of my day, you know. If I make a left turn at the street, it could change. My whole life could change. <laughs> so what? You know? But there's a lot of drenched with meaning, yeah. But if, <laughs> if that interest and tension is unwedded to that, it starts being interested in attending to what's actually happening. Yeah? 
And what's happening, actually, is just a mere appearance over or in what's really happening. And the interest and attention starts picking up on that. Yes? It almost as if, like Jesus says, you know, if your eye be single, your body will be full of light. It's the dualistic subject-object approach could be appeared, you know, you could use it as a bifocal way of seeing things. Me as the subject, you as the object. When your body, when your eye is single, meaning that's taken off, then you're full of light. Yes? Yeah, yeah, totally different. So in this sense, when the interest and attention is unwedded to the idea of being you, it now enriches the same interest and attention that was bonding you, your mind, to this idea of being a self, is now enriching your life with the possibility of being free from what you were never bound to. Yeah? And it starts sensing presence, just like it was sensing and being very attentive to all those thoughts, it's now attentive to the sense of presence, which is always available at all times, because what's not being seen is actually what's so, in a way. So the appearance is just a mere, very, it's just an appearance in this context of nothingness. So now your eye, in a sense, your mind's eye sees nothing, quite a lot. And while these eyes are looking at things, you know, and navigating the day and whatever, yes? But the single eye has sort of been freed from all of that, because it's not been wed to the idea of being a self anymore. The interest and attention now goes to that little focus, which is not as a very relaxed focus. And now you, you see nothing, which is an infinite event, because it never alights on anything, and it's always seeing. So for me, that's like the regeneration of the presence all the time, is the activity of mind seeing. And it's like a hum of a generator, yes? A hum of a generator, to me, that's a sense of presence. But I found that it, it's not available to you. Though it's completely available, but it's never going to be available to you. Because it has to not be the presence for you to be present. That's the dilemma. That's why if you're waiting to get this, you're going to be waiting a long time. Because you're never going to get it. It's an impossibility because if, if, you, if you were going to get it, it would have to be something that wasn't here and then showed up and then, you know, and could possibly leave again. Because that's the way we get things here. We don't get things. We get things to lose them and then worry about them not having one or yeah. But in this sense, oh, a very important person up there. In this sense, yeah, in this sense, there's a freedom from all that because you're, the interest and attention has a real, uh, because it's actually, it's like water, it's seeking its source, and interest and attention is a source, is a wind, yeah, it's not a thingness. You can't say, oh, I got a big box of it, look at how much attention I have, you know. It's not something that's in a form where you can weigh it. It's really another level of no-thingness, yeah? So that will seek its source, which is not a thing, yeah? It's been wedded to this idea by the mental process, yeah? It's claimed that I am this, I am the seer, and so the only way you're going to be attentive and interested in the seeing, the seeing is I am the seer. So the interest and attention goes to the seer, but that, it doesn't really get home because that's not the seeing. The seeing is seeing, yeah? But when it's free from this little idea of you, then it tends to start being interested in its source, which is seeing, yes? So now, without any thought or effort on your part, the interest and attention just gets switched. And when the emphasis and the 
when it passes a certain point, that's called stabilization. You get stable, and the view is not a view anymore. It's now seeing. It's like vision. It's different. Yeah? The view is is a way that, through an understanding, we try to correct the, the distortion of the lenses that we're wearing, but the distortion is still happening. So we have an understanding that we fall back on. Oh, this isn't really happening. I'm not, whatever, yeah? We're using something to sort of counteract the, 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 the quote-unquote experience of the distortion coming through the glasses. But then, what, when the emphasis moves over enough, then it becomes vision. Now the glasses are, sent, are off, or you're very clear that they're glasses. They're not you. Yeah? And therefore, the view has done its job. It's helped you like a skillful means, but now you can put it down, in a sense, because the vision is in place. Now there's just seeing, and the emphasis is on that. Yeah? You can honor the understanding, and a lot of things what we do here is we're sharing the view. Yeah? But hopefully, while we're sharing the view, the vision is being sensed. Yeah? Because the vision is it, really. The view is sort of just like the uh, envelope scribblings to get through the conceptual mail slot of the conditional mind, but the vision is inside the envelope. When you open it up, there's nothing, but it gets out, and that's the vision. Yeah? Nothing is really what's being offered here. Because we've had tons of something, and it already amounted to nothing, so we're just going right to nothing. <laughs> Forget about all the somethings. We've already arrived there, so let's just start at nothing and leave it at that. Let's see how much nothing can do. <laughs> so, and uh, I was at these talks, and it was funny because I, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I probably am. But I said, uh, you know, because there's a lot of talks about non duality, you know, non duality meetings and stuff, and I can't, I've never seen a non duality meeting. It's impossible. <laughs> non duality just means not to, it's a negation. It's, a, it's not an affirmation of anything. It's a negation of a way of seeing, called a way of looking, really, called uh, self-centeredness, which is a dualistic way of looking. You as the subject, everything as an object. Yes? That's what self-centeredness is based on. So it's really a negation of that. So in a sense, this is actually, you know, and I'm not, I couldn't, I could never possibly say I could teach, but I can inform one of duality. I can share about duality. I can never share about non-duality. But in the sharing of duality, the beauty of it is, you're not just left with the idea of duality, but there's a, there's a little capper, which is you're not that. Yes. See, that's the beauty of negation, is it brings you, what it explains to be the way it seems to be, it also adds a nice, very nice little invitation, and that's not so. Yeah? It's like we were talking at this thing, um, there's, in Sufism, you know, I don't know if you know it, it's a, part of Islam, and it's a mystical part, where they do the whirling dervishes and stuff like that. Well, they produced a thing called an Enneagram. You know, have you ever heard of it? They have a lot of retreats on it now, and books and that stuff, and people. Yeah, that's what they talk a lot about. Well, an Enneagram was a way of breaking down the basic characteristics of a conditional mind. Really. Yeah? So there was nine main characters, of pres like personalities, and then they had different subdivisions, so it come up to be like 27. So in other words, it's sort of like all of us came from a Ford factory, and there was 27 models of the Ford. It's a, everyone was a Ford, but they looked a little different, yeah? And so you go there, and you learn of that, and they maybe show you an old manual that says, this is an original Ford manual, and they describe how a Ford looks and drives and turns, and then by hearing it, you may go, hey, I'm a Ford. 
Yeah? Jesus Christ. I thought I was a Cadillac. This is very depressing. Jesus, I had high hopes for myself, but I'm a measly Ford. So they described the Ford in the factory and when it was built and when you came out of it, in a sense. And the point is, is that when you get the hit that I'm a Ford, it takes a further step and I'm not that. Yes? Yeah? So I would see people go to these, a lot of very adept spiritual people, to these retreats and they'd learn and they had one to nine, right? With the basic Ford models, yeah? In the same year. So they learn and they go, they recognize themselves as a six. So immediately they leave the meeting and everyone starts talking, I'm a six, I'm a two. No, the point is you're not a two. The point is you've just been described what you're not. That's the message. Yeah? Because you can't, you can't describe what we are, but you can definitely describe what you're not. And we'll be very familiar with it because we've been taking that, that to be us. Yeah? So there's an identification as it. And so when it's pointed out, that identification can produce a real push when you realize, hey, or entertain, I'm not that. Yes? It's sort of like embracing and then letting go. Instead of the mental denial, I'm not that, through like books and philosophies, which is just the way, that's how you live as if you're that, by saying you're not that. This is more like, oh, I am, I'm a freaking Ford. I drive one like, oh, she's a speck. And then, and you're not. It's not like, oh, you leave, oh, now you have another thing you're identified with. And I'm a Ford too. I can't fucking believe it. <laughs> I don't want to learn any more about myself. I can't handle all this knowledge. Yeah? And the point is, no, I'm not a Ford. But it's important to hear about a Ford so that you go, hey, that sounds just like me, quote-unquote the Ford. Yeah? And that's not, that's, I do the same thing, quote-unquote the Ford. And then, you're not the Ford. Oh, instead of starting with, you're not the Ford, I feel it's, or you're really this great thing called the non-formed, super-empty, blissful, all-illuminating light, but you'll be hearing it like a Ford. Yeah? So the point, the point is, it's not, it's not that you have an impossibility of, of, well, it is impossible to know what you are, because you are that. You can't know what you are. You'd have to be something other than it. That's the dilemma. And, and there's no escape from that. There's no way you're going to know what you are like an object. It's just, it's impossible. Yeah? Because that would mean the falseness of you was the subject. The question is the question, the subjectness. If you're not that, that's what you are, is the seeing of that, yeah? So in other words, what you are is actually now totally filled, yeah? But there's an illusion of what we are, what we think we are, that's sort of draping over it. Our interest and attention seems to go towards it, but we catch it. Ah, well, that's me. And then we get absorbed in what reinforces that, which is the thoughts about this place, yes? the opinions, the, the reflections, the speculations, and we get swooped up, our interest and attention, into this mental realm. And that mental realm presents us as a body. That's what it does, yeah? So obviously, it, it's very easy to assume you're a body when that's all you think about you as. That's the only way you feel about yourself, yes? Because you can't picture a spirit three weeks ago. You can't. I can't go, oh, my spirit looked really good three weeks ago. I wish I had that outfit still. What was I wearing? Nothing. Oh. How did I look? No, no you didn't see it at all. Oh. 
then what was I obsessing over? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There'd be nothing to obsess over. <laughs> so the mental process, what we're quite relying on, the system of thought and interpretation, pictures us as a body. Yeah, it just does. Yeah? It infers, it's picturing us. The mind's picturing us as this. When we're listening to all those thoughts, listening to them, the mind is picturing you listening to them as a body. The thoughts produce like a holographic event, because the mind, if you ever learn, the mind works in metaphors and images, yes? It's a much better way to learn than any other way. But the words produce it to, to a, produce an image, right? To make an image and a, a holograph of a body. So when I'm thinking about me, there's a vague sense that me is a body. So if I'm resting and relying or having faith in that system, I'm good, that faith is going to produce the feeling of being a body. Yeah? That's the whole thing. The faith is just the potential mind, and it manifests in whatever vehicle it's put in. So if it's put in this thought system of self-centeredness, you're going to feel like a body. Yeah? No matter how much you think you're spiritual or a soul, that entertaining your soul will be cast in the definition of a body somehow or another. Yeah, and you can't escape the system in the system. And especially the product of the system, the sense of being a self, cannot transcend the system that makes it and reinforces it because it doesn't exist. It only appears in that system. Yeah? So that system is really, when faith is put in there, it projects through all the, it's listening to all the thoughts and the opinions and feelings of the body, it projects you as an image in the mind, which is a body. And that's basically the alpha and omega of the interpretive system. It takes you to be a body. Yeah? And then what it does, really, if you watch it, it t places you as this fixed object somewhere else at some other time and thinks about it. <laughs> that's what it does. That's how it's constantly engaged with itself. Yeah? It takes itself. <laughs> and the only place it can do that is now. Because... No matter how much you want to believe in time, you cannot escape the timelessness of what's happening here. It's just this, yeah? But in this timelessness, it can produce or make up a stream of time, yeah? That seems valid to who? A you. Because it's picturing you as a body somewhere else at some other time. So your interest and attention is totally engaged now in there and then quite a lot, yeah? And of course it's producing maladies. How could it not? How could it not? It's producing mental disease that beget every other disease, yeah? Because the mind is like going crazy. It's, it's so absorbed, it's like eating its own tail. The more and more it loves or cherishes itself, the sicker it gets, yeah? And it can't stop going to the cookie jar, because it's me, my, I, and it's just getting really, really ill, yeah? And it shows, yeah? And the solution is right where the seeming problem is, right now, because there's no other than that. Now is even a word, but there just is, yes? And in this, that just is, all of that activity is surrounded and it permeated by context, which is awareness and presence of awareness, yeah? Because what brings you the ability to be a you is awareness, yeah? The awareness or the attention to thoughts is what allows that to happen. So if you see, when people are trying to get to be accepting, the only place acceptance comes from is the awareness. Because it's a demonstrating acceptance constantly. It just sees. It has no opinion or anything about anything going on. It's just seeing. 
this is what, all of this is happening to me. I hate selfie. I wish it would stop. Someone help me with this. Yeah. You're all right. You're not that. Oh. So therefore, I'm the seeing of that. Yes. You're the seeing of that. This finite little mental string. You see it. Yeah. It doesn't make into a knot because it needs you. It needs the you. The you is the clincher. Because everything, when the you's in place, everything is selfing. Yeah? Everything is selfing with this piece of the string. Without this piece of the string, the selfing can go on, but it doesn't bind you. It doesn't bind the mind to the idea of being the you. This is why, this to me is, in a sense, the importance here of repetition. Just like repetition in the world is how you get convinced of many things, yes? It's like a poison of this place. Well, we're using it as an antidote. So we have a lot of meetings and we just keep sharing, 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 sharing. Because repetition is helpful. So that you can, once you see the string, there's a shift because you have, you'll get a hit of, I, I must be the seeing of it because I've come to the end. The only place that I was holding my little, my little subjectivity was on the doer or on the one who's been done to. Now that that's seen not to be true, why am I? Well, that's what happens. You'll find out. You'll find out what you are. And then in the sense of I don't know, like in the high form of Zen, I don't know, you'll find out, which is a whole other way of having knowledge, is by finding out. It's a totally different download. It doesn't go into the horizontal, circular, linear system of thought and interpretation. I know, which neuters everything. It's actually quite enlivening because you don't know. So there's an alertness to the moment, and there's a sense of, you know, curiosity, entertaining, I call it, being, the ability to entertain, and then you find out. And when the finding out occurs, it can have a very convincing effect, where what was always cast as an experience I had that I could lose now turns into states. Yeah? You start having a state of surrendered. You have a state of... Uh, ease and comfort instead of irritability, restlessness, and discontent. The whole system shifts from importance on experience as the subject to no subject states. Yeah? Yeah. Stabilizes. Not too many stories are generated. Because it's really hard to discern what actually happens. <laughs> you know, days go by, but there's really there's not much to mine out of the days. Because the value is, is in the seeing the days go by. Not, you know, it's like, you know, as the conveyor belt of particulars things go by, you lose interest in gravity. You're just letting it go by, you know? Well, it's not me letting go, it's going by. And there's this, but the, in other words, the eyes now on like more like a contextual ball than the content. Yes, and this enriches you in a lot of ways you don't even imagine, and you don't notice. The, men, the conditional mind doesn't notice it. Yeah, to the conditional mind, the, the expression of this is sort of like you never see that movie, uh, Lord of the Rings, Sauron, the evil eye, and you'd be constantly looking for the ring. It's precious. Yeah. This is like the mental eye, the conditional mind. It's looking, it doesn't see the value in what's happening to you. 
because she, you know, you didn't have glowing hair on a cliff, and you know, God appeared and you are free, my son, and go out and do my business. It's sort of like dog shit awareness all day. It's on, and this is a recognition of on this, and that's that. You can't really sell it to anyone or anything like that. So the the eye of Sauron constantly looking to get some to claim some value that accrue, you know, like a like a consumerite. Just goes right by the ease and comfort, the daily, you know, you're just traveling lighter. Yes? It's such a beautiful thing. And by the time it figures it out, it's too late. It really is. By the time it, oh, that's, it's too late. Because now the emphasis has shifted enough that you're stabilized. Not you stabilized, there's a stabilization. Now there isn't so much of view, vision, 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 view, 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 view. Because view will always lead to the other view. Self-centered view, yeah? Because it's still part and parcel of that system. But vision is beyond the self-centered view. Vision isn't like non-vision and vision. It's just vision, yes? It's just vision. It's just seeing. There's no opposite to it. In the view, there still is. There's a mix, yeah? But it's helpful while the vision isn't emphasized or hasn't become obvious. But it's going to lead to the point of vision, yeah? And it won't be a point in time. It will always be a timeless point not a point in time. The story will be that, oh, it happened to me that day, but it, timelessness never happens in a day. It's always happening. Yeah? You may interpret it as something that happened to you, but I don't know if that's really what occurred. I think there's just vision, and timelessness basically shows the irra- uh, irrelevance or the unreality of time. That's all. It's not like, that's it, really. You just see time as an appearance here. But it's appearance in timelessness. And once the eye, you know, so... I like repetition. I do. I like the idea of a message, which isn't a long thesis. It's just a little message. You're not that. And hopefully everything, all the downloads that happen over the days will distill into that. I'm not that. I am not that, that that infers, that that refers, that implies, that vaguely points at. I am not that, yes? And in that, the repetition can be helpful. An invitation and a message. To invite you to just question what's taken to be you and see if it is. If it ain't, you'll find out. And the finding out is such a, like an unspoken yes, so to speak, like a deep echo that never seems to stop. Yeah? It's, it's has its own sustainability. It just lives and thrives in its own uh, honoring, so to speak. Yeah. And it will definitely translate here. And like I always say, it doesn't promise to change the, you know, the geography of our lives, but you'll travel lighter over whatever life has in store for the action figure, you know? You'll travel lighter as it's going on. And that's incredibly valuable. So you can't put zeros and numbers on it, you know, because your mind doesn't, the accountant of this conditional mind doesn't pick up the value of nothing. It really doesn't. It's always trying to accrue something. Weigh it, hold it, try to suck something out of it, you know, lord it over someone. Somehow it finds value in that. But it really, it's sort of like a, like something that you ran into something you've never seen, you just keep walking around it. You can't know how to grab it, you can't pick it up, and usually you get bored in a little while, you know. Like animals who want to eat something, and the turtle pulls all its legs in, they, they walk around the thing, they, they try to flip it over, they can't get it, and they usually leave. Yeah? Because 
to them it's nothing. <laughs> as soon as it's realized it's nothing, it loses value. That's its greatest value. Yeah? That's a great value. So the conditional mind will walk away and there will be the prizes there. Which it's always there. Yeah? So any questions today? It's nice to be back, man. Yes, yes. I don't know why. This ammonia soaked room always brings tears to my eyes. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. <laughs> the humble place. <laughs> so, no questions. That's great. Did you get enough? Do we need any more from this rock? <laughs> Trying to get blood out of it.